Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Section 30 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 17. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 17. Selected Excerpts by Joel Chandler Harris. Joel Chandler Harris, born 1848. One evening recently, the lady whom Uncle Remus calls Miss Sally, Mr. Little Seven-Year-Old, making search for him through the house and through the yard, she heard the sound of voices in the old man's cabin, and looking through the window, she saw the child sitting by Uncle Remus. His head rested on the old man's arm, and he was gazing with an expression of the most intense interest into the rough, weather-beaten face that beamed so kindly on him. With this charming picture, Mr. Joel Chandler Harris opens the historic adventures of that Ulysses of the Fields, Br'er Rabbit. Uncle Remus, the raconteur of the adventures, has a prototype in every southern plantation, and his stories are familiar to all southerners. The art of Mr. Harris lies in the way he has transferred their impalpable charm to canvas. Before the appearance of Uncle Remus, his songs and sayings, New York, 1880, the Negro had figured in literature, but he had figured for a purpose, either to illustrate a principle, as in Mrs. Stowe's great novels, Uncle Tom's Cabin and Dread, or he was the stage Negro of the minstrel show, an intolerable misrepresentation. Perhaps he was too familiar a feature in the landscape of the southern author for him to appreciate his artistic value. And as for the foreigner's conception of him, what Dr. Johnson said of the descriptive poems of the blind poet Blacklock may very well be applied to these efforts. If, said Johnson, you found that our paralytic had left his room, you would conclude that he had been carried, meaning that the blind man had described what he had read, not what he had seen. No such charge can be brought to the author of these inimitable sketches. Like his own hero, Br'er Rabbit, he was born and bred in a briar patch in middle Georgia in the town of Edenton, December 8, 1848, and his happy and adventurous youth, pleasantly commemorated in his On the Plantation, was passed in the society he had made famous the world over. Uncle Remus, Mink, Sis Tempe, Daddy Jake, 
were not more real personages to him than the creators they taught him to know and admire. In true American fashion, he passed from their printer's case to the bar, but forsook law for literature, his first love, became a member of the staff and later an editor of the Atlanta Constitution, and the author of many books, of which Uncle Remus is the initial. Nights with Uncle Remus, Rainy Days with Uncle Remus, Mingo and Other Sketches, Daddy Jake the Runaway, and On the Plantation belong to the same series. Mr. Harris has written other books of plantation romance and actualities that betray the charm of which he is a master, but to the volumes we have named he owes his high and permanent place in American literature. Those who are familiar with the subject know that when Mr. Harris chose the plantation negro, he had a character of some subtlety to deal with. Like the Celt, he is a creature of extremes, carelessly happy one day and despairing the next, but saved from revolt by a pathetic philosophy born of his helplessness and also by a sense of humor that restores his equilibrium. These peculiarities are not so evident from his actions, for he has been suppressed by his surroundings, as in his songs and stories which display his poetical temperament and his picturesque imagination. With the self-confidence of the artist, Mr. Harris, in portraying his character, chooses the most difficult, that is, the dramatic form. Uncle Remus, the seer of the plantation, sits before his lightwood fire making shuck horse collars with a little boy for audience, varied by occasional visits from his satellite, Sis Tempe, or his enemy, the incomparable, the irrepressible, Tildy, and as he works at his self-imposed task, levies on the whole community for illustrations of weakness and folly. Or, like a child watching his elders, he imitates their manners and customs, makes his shrewd comments, gives his hard thrusts, and dispenses his deep philosophy. Only when Mr. Harris drops the dramatic form, as in On the Plantation, Mingo and Other Sketches, and Daddy Jake the Runaway, does he permit himself the luxury of pathos so obvious in the Negro's life. When Uncle Remus or any of his confreres is speaking in propria persona, he shows the same reserve in displaying his deepest emotions as the wounded animal who seeks his lair. Nor is it strange that the life of the plantation negro should have developed his mystical side. Much of it is spent alone with only the creators between whom and the white man he occupies a middle distance for companions. Nor strange that, like St. Francis of Assisi, each living thing becomes a brother and sister to him, endowed with personality and a sentient nature. St. Francis preached to the birds and the four-footed felons, the Pharisimo Lupo de Gobi, and Uncle Remus, though he considers them far too wise to learn from so poor a creature as man, endows them with all our vices and virtues. Did not the mystics Aesop and La Fontaine the same? But the old darky in a dim fashion does more, through them he expresses a revolt from his own condition and the not unnatural desire to circumvent the master who has so long controlled him. Not to the swift in these stories is the race, nor to the strong the battle. The weakest, the most helpless of all the animals, the rabbit, is the hero and the champion, 
and in every contest is victorious over the wolf, the fox, the bear. Not virtue, but weakness triumphs when Br'er Rabbit milks the cow, fools the fox, and scalds the wolf. Not passion, but mischievousness. With a view to edification which cannot be too sternly deprecated, etymologists have claimed Uncle Remus and his songs as a contribution to the folklore society. Better can we spare him to the natural history societies to which he may contribute the chapters on how Mr. Rabbit lost his fine bushy tail, why Mr. Rabbit whipped his young ones, why the Negro is black, and the use Miss Goose put her hands to. But Mr. Harris has a higher motive in letters and utility, we believe. His province is the charm and to amuse. Why Brother Wolf didn't eat the little rabbits? From Uncle Remus and his friends, copyright 1892 by Joel Chandler Harris, and reprinted here by permission of and special arrangement with Hofton Mifflin and Company, Publishers, Boston. Uncle Remus, said the little boy one day, why don't you come up to the big house sometimes and tell me stories? Shoo, honey, the spoon better go to the bowl's house. If I was at or you to tell me tales, I'd come up there and sit in the back porch and listen at you every day and sometimes every night. But when the spoon wants anything, it better go to the bowl. It bleeds to be that away. Well, you used to come. That's so, exclaimed Uncle Remus. But where was you about that time? Right flat on your back, that's where you was. You lay there and swallowed that doctor truck. Well, I'd be blessed if you had more heft than the partridge egg with the innards blowed out. And there was Sally a-crying and gwin on constant, but she wasn't crying about you. She was coiling at me on Marsh John. Old man tongue ain't got no Sunday, cause when I get to where you was, I had her set down and tell tales for to make you forget about the fuss that was gwin on. I remember one time, Uncle Remus went on laughing, I was sitting there by your bed, telling you some great tailor nutter, and the fuss news I knowed I woke up and found myself fast asleep, and you woke up and found yourself in the lander nod. There we was, me in the chair and you in the bed, and I'd nod at you and you'd snow back at me, and there was the old tortoiseshell cat sitting by the hearth, running that air buzzwheel what cats has got somewhere in their innards, and the clock was a-clockin', and the candle a-splutterin', and just about that time Miss Alickman and wrapped me pon topper the naked place on my head with her thimble, and I cutch my breath like a cow a-coffin', and then Miss Sally start in her coilin', and Marsh John acts her what she doin', and she lows she does a-whisperin' to me, and Marsh John said if she called that whisperin', he didn't know what she called squallin'. Then I got up and groaned one of these your meetin' house groans. Them was great times, mon, continued the old man, after pausing to recover his breath. They most surely was. It looked like to me about them days that you was no bigger than a young rabbit after your hide been took off. You certainly was spare made then. I sat there by your bed, and I say to myself that if I was the old bear wolf and you was a young rabbit, I wouldn't get hungry enough for to eat you, cause you was too bony. When did Brother Wolf want to eat the young rabbit, Uncle Remus? inquired the little boy, thinking that he saw the suggestion of his story here. 
He was not mistaken. The old man regarded him with well-feigned astonishment. Ain't I done told you about that, honey? Just run over in your mind and see if I ain't. The youngster shook his head most emphatically. Well, said Uncle Remus, old Br'er Wolf went to eat the little rabs all the time, but there was one time in particular that they made his mouth water, and that was the time when him the Br'er Fox was visiting at Br'er Rabbit's house. The times was hard, but the little rabs was slick and fat, and is as frisky as kittens. Old Br'er Rabbit was off summers, and Br'er Wolf and Br'er Fox was waiting for him. The little rabs was playing round, and though they was little, they kept their ears open. Br'er Wolf looked at him out of the corner of his eyes, and lick his chops, and wink at Br'er Fox, and Br'er Fox winked back at him. Br'er Wolf crossed his legs, and then Br'er Fox crossed his, and the little rabs, they frisk, and they frolic. Br'er Wolf hold his head towards him, and lo, they were mighty fat. Br'er Fox grinned and say, Man, hush your mouth. The little rabs frisk and frolic and play further off, but they keep their years primed. Br'er Wolf look at em and lo, Ain't they slick and purty? Br'er Fox chuckle and say, Oh, I wish you'd hush. The little rabs play off further and further, but they keep their ears open. Br'er Wolf smack his mouth and lo, They are juicy and tender. Br'er Fox roll his eye and say, Man, ain't you going to hush up? For you give me the fidgets. The little rabs, they frisk and they frolic, but they hear everything that pass. Br'er Wolf look out his tongue quick, and lo, let us whirl in and eat em. Br'er Fox say, Man, you make me hungry. Please hush up. The little rabs play off further and further, but they know exactly what's going on. They frisk and they frolic, but they got their ears wide open. Then Br'er Wolf make a bargain with Br'er Fox that when Br'er Rabbit get home, one of them would get him wrapped up in a spute about first one thing and then another, while the other one go out and catch the little rabs. Br'er Fox low, you better do the talking, Br'er Wolf, and let me coax the little rabs off. I got more winning ways with children than what you is. Br'er Wolf say, you can't make gourd out of pumpkin, Br'er Fox. I ain't no talker. Yo tongue lots slicker than mine. I can bite slots better than I can talk. Them little rabs don't want no coaxin'. They wants catchin'. That's what they wants. You keep old Br'er Rabbit busy, and I'll tender the little rabs. Both of them know that whichever catch the little rabs, the tutter one ain't gonna smell hide nor hair of em. And they flew up and got their sputin', and while they was sputin' and gwine on that away, the little rabs put off down the road, Blickety blickety for to meet their daddy, cause they knowed if they stayed they'd get in big trouble. They went off down the road, the little rabs did, and they ain't gone so mighty fur for they meet their daddy coming along home. He had his walking cane in one hand and a jug in the other, and he looked as big as life and twice as natural. The little rabs run toward him and holler, What you got, daddy? What you got, daddy? Br'er Rabbit say, nothing but your jug o' lasses. The little rabs holler, let me taste, Daddy, let me taste, Daddy. Then old Br'er Rabbit set the jug down in the road and let them lick the stopper a time or two, and either they done get their wind back, they up and tell them about the agreement that Br'er Wolf and Br'er Fox done make, and about the dispute what they had. 
Old Br'er Rabbit sort of laughed to herself, and then he'd pick up his jug and jog on towards home. When he get most there, he stopped to tell the little rabs for to stay back they're out of sight, and wait till he call them fo they come. They was mighty glad to do just like this, cause they done seed Br'er Wolf Tushes and Br'er Fox Red Tongue, and they huddle up in the broom sage as still as a mouse in the flower barrel. Br'er Rabbit went on home, and show sure enough he find Br'er Wolf and Br'er Fox waiting for him. They done settled their spute, and they was sitting there just as smiling as a basket or chips. They passed their time of day with Br'er Rabbit, and then they asked him what he got in the jug. Br'er Rabbit hummed and hawed and looked sort of solemn. Br'er Wolf looked like he was bleached to find out what was in the jug, and he kept a pestering Br'er Rabbit about it. But Br'er Rabbit just shake his head and look solemn and talk about the weather and the crops and one thing and another. By and by, Br'er Fox make out he was going after a drink of water, and he slip out, he did, for to catch the little rabs. Time he get out of the house, Br'er Rabbit look all around to see if he'd listening, and then he went to the jug and pull out the stopper. He hand it to Br'er Wolf and say, Taste that. Br'er Wolf taste the lasses and smack his mouth. He low, What kind of truck that? His show is good. Br'er Rabbit get up close to Br'er Wolf and say, Don't tell nobody. It's fox blood. Br'er Wolf look astonished. He low, How you know? Br'er Rabbit say, I knows what I knows. Br'er Wolf say, Give me some more. Br'er Rabbit say, You can get some more for yourself, easy enough. And to fresher, tis to better. Br'er Wolf low, how you know? Br'er Rabbit say, I knows what I knows. With that, Br'er Wolf stepped out and start towards Br'er Fox. Br'er Fox see him coming and he sort of back off. Br'er Wolf got a little closer and by and by he make a dash at Br'er Fox. Br'er Fox dodge he did and then he put out for the woods with Br'er Wolf right at his heels. Then at her so long a time, at her Br'er Rabbit got done laughing, he call up the little rabs, give him some lasses for supper, and spanked him and sent him to bed. Well, what did he spank him for, Uncle Remus? asked the little boy. To make him grow, honey. That's to make him grow. Young creeters got to have their hide loosened that away, same as young chillins. Did Brother Wolf catch Brother Fox? How I know, honey. Much as I can do to follow the tail when it keeps in the big road, let alone to keep up with them creatures when they go sailing through the woods. The tail ain't pursue on adder um no further than the place where they make their disappearance. I tell you now, when I goes in the woods, I got to know where I'm going. Brother Mud Turtle's Trickery From Uncle Remus and His Friends Copyright 1892 by Joel Chandler Harris and reprinted here by permission of and special arrangement with Hofton Mifflin and Company, Publishers, Boston. I don't like these here tales about folks, no matter how you can fix them, said Uncle Remus after an unusually long pause, during which he rubbed his left hand with the right in order to run the rheumatism out. No, sir, I don't like them, because folks can't play no tricks, nor get even with their neighbors without hurting somebody's feelings, or breaking some law or nutter, or gwin against what the preacher say. Look at that man what I does been telling you about. 
he let the other man fool him and catch him, and more than that, he let him tote him off to the calaboose. He oughter been tucked thar, I ain't spootin' that. Yet if that had been some of the creatures, they'd have surely got loose from thar. When it comes to talking about getting loose, Uncle Remus continued, settling himself comfortably in his chair, I get to running on in my mind about old Br'er Fox and old Br'er Mud Turkle. They had some kind of fallen out once upon a time. I don't know what. I speck it's got a tail hung on it, but the tail done switch itself out of my mind. Yet they done had a fallen out, and they weren't no love lost betwixt them. Well, sir, one day Br'er Fox was going down the creek fishing. Little as you may think on it, Br'er Fox was monstrous fond of fishes, so every chance he got he'd go fishing. On Sunday, too, inquired the little boy. He had been lectured on that subject not long before. Well, I'll tell you now, replied Uncle Remus, laughing. Br'er Fox is like a woman's tongue. He ain't got no Sunday. What kind of bait did he have, the youngster asked. What he want with bait, honey? He ain't got no bait and no pole and no hook. He just went down to the creek, and when he come to a good place, he'd wade in and feel under rocks and under bank. Sometimes he'd catch a horny head, and then again he'd catch a perch. Well, sir, he went on and went on, and he had bad luck. Looked like the fishes was all gone from home, but he kept on and he kept on. He lowed to himself that he bleeds to have some fish for dinner. One time he put his hand in a crawfish's nest and got nipped. Another time he catched the eel, and it made a cold chills run across him. Yet he kept on. By and by, Br'er Fox come to where old Br'er Mud Turkle live at. I don't know what made old Br'er Mud Turkle live in such a damp place like that. Looked like him and his folks would have a bad cold the whole blessed time. But there he was in the water and the bank, laying there fast asleep, dreaming about the good times he'd have when the fresh had come. He is a land heir with his eyes shut. When the first news he know, he feels something nutter fumbling round his head. Twain't nobody but old Br'er Fox feeling round on the bank for fishes. Br'er Mud Turkle moved his head, he did, but the fumbling kept on, and by me by he opened his mouth, and Br'er Fox fumble and fumble, twill by and by he got his hand in there, and time he do that, old Br'er Mud Turkle shut down on it. And I let you know, continued Uncle Remus, shaking his head slowly from side to side, as if to add emphasis to the statement, I let you know when old Br'er Mud Turkle shut down on your hand, you got to cut off his head and then wait till it thunder for he turned loose. Well, sir, he shut down on old Br'er Fox, and if you'd a been anywhere in that settlement, you'd a heard squallin' then if you ain't never heard none before. Br'er Fox just hilt his head back and holler, Ouch! Ouch! What this got me? Ouch! Turn me loose! Ouch! Somebody better run here quick! Laws of mussy! Ouch! But Br'er Mud Turkle, he held on, and he felt so much comfort that he during about winter sleep again if Br'er Fox hadn't her snatched and jerked so hard and hollered so loud. Br'er Fox holler, and Br'er Mud Turkle hold on, Br'er Fox holler, and Br'er Mud Turkle, hold on. There they was, nip and tug, hollerin' hold fast. By and by it hurt so bad that Br'er Fox just fetched one loud squall and made one big pull, 
and out come old Br'er Mud Turkle a-hangin' to his hand. Well, so, when they got out of the bank on Br'er Mud Turkle sort of woke up, he tuck and turned Br'er Fox loose without waitin' for the thunder. He asked Br'er Fox pardon, but Br'er Fox he ain't got no pardon for to give him. Br'er Mud Turkle make like he's scared. He low. I clare to gracious, Br'er Fox, if I'd known twas you, I'd a never shut down on you in the round world, cause I know what a dangerous man you is. I know your daddy before you, and he was a dangerous man. But Br'er Fox fused to listen to that kinder talk. He say, I've been wanting you a long time, and now I got you. I got you right where I want you, and when I get through with you, your own folks would know you if they was to meet you in the middle of the road. Br'er Mud Turkle cry on one side of his face and laugh on tutter. He low, Please, sir, Br'er Fox, just let me off this time, and I'll be good friend long with you all the balance of the time. Please, sir, Br'er Fox, let me off this time. Br'er Fox, eh? Oh, yes, I'll let you off. I'm all the time letting off folks who bite me to the bone. Oh, yes, I'll let you off, but I'll take in your skin first. Br'er Mud Turkle low. Supposing I ain't got no hide on me, then what you gwine to do? Br'er Fox grit his tushes. He say, If you ain't got no hide, I'll find a place where the hide otter be, that's what. With that, he make a grab at Br'er Mud Turkle's neck, but Br'er Mud Turkle draw his head and his foots under his shell and quill up his tail, and there he was. He so old and tough he got moss on his shell. Br'er Fox fool with him, and yawed and gouge at the shell, but he does might as well yaw and gouge at a flint rock. He work and he work, but taint do no good. He can't get Br'er Mud Turkle out of his house. No way he can fix it. Old Br'er Mud Turkle talk at him. He low. Heart ain't no name for a Br'er Fox. You'll be jimberjawed long fore you yaw through my hide. Br'er Fox yawed and gouge and gouge and yaw. Br'er Mud Turkle low. They ain't but one way for to get that shell off, Br'er Fox. Br'er Fox fused to make answer. He gouge and yaw and yaw and gouge. Br'er Mud Turkle low. Tushes ain't going to get it off. Claws ain't going to get it off. Yet mud and water will do the work. Now I'm going to sleep. Br'er Fox yaw and gouge and gouge and yaw. And by and by he got tired more especially when he heard old Br'er Mud Turkle laying in there snoring just like somebody saw in gourds. Then he sat down and watched Br'er Mud Turkle, but he ain't move. He do just like he sleep. Then Br'er Fox get the idea that he'll play a trick on Br'er Mud Turkle. He holler out, Goodbye, Br'er Mud Turkle. You were too much for me this time. My hand hurt me so bad I got to go home and get a poultice on it but I'll pay you back if it's the last act. Br'er Fox make like he gwine off, but he does run round and hide in the bushes. Yet does you speck he gwine fool Br'er Mud Turkle? Shoo, honey, that creature got moss in his back and he got so much sense in his head his eyes look red. He just lay there, old Br'er Mud Turkle did, and sun himself same as if he was on a rock in the creek. He lay there so still that Br'er Fox got his impatience stirred up and he come out the bushes and went to Br'er Mud Turkle and shuck him up and axed him how we going to get the shell off. 
Brer Mud Turkle low. Tushers ain't going to get it off. Claws ain't going to get it off. Yet mud and water will do the work. Brer Fox say, Don't riddle me no riddles. Up and tell me like a man how I gwine to get your shell off. Brer Mud Turkle low. Put me in the mud and rub my back hard as you can. Then the shell bleeds to come off. That the reason they call me Brer Mud Turkle. Well, sir, said Uncle Remus, laughing heartily. Brer Fox ain't got no better sense than to believe all that truck. So he tucked and shoved Brer Mud Turkle along till he got him in the mud. Then he gun to rub on his back like somebody carrying a horse. What happened then? Well, there ain't nothing to all happen, exceptin' what bleeds to happen. The more he rub on the back, the deeper Brer Mud Turkle go in the mud. By and by, whilst Brer Fox was rubbing right hard, Brer Mud Turkle sort of guns itself a flirt and went down out of reach. Of course, this make Brer Fox sponge in the water, and a little more, and he'd have drowned right then and there. He went out on the bank, he did, and whilst he sat there drying himself, he knowed that Brer Mud Turkle was laughing at him, because he kind of see the signs on it. The little boy laughed, but he shook his head incredulously. Well, said Uncle Remus, if you gwine dispute that, you just as well tear stand up and face me down about the whole tale. Because when Br'er Fox sees bubbles rising on the water and following at her one another, he bleeds to know that Br'er Mud Turkle down under there laughing fit to kill herself. This settled the matter, the child was convinced. Uncle Remus at the Telephone From Uncle Remus and His Friends, copyright 1892 by Joel Chandler Harris, and reprinted here by permission of and special arrangement with Hofton Mifflin & Company, Publishers, Boston. One night recently, as Uncle Remus's Miss Sally was sitting by the fire sewing and singing softly to herself, she heard the old man come into the backyard and enter the dining room, where a bright fire was still burning in the grate. Everything had been cleared away, the cook had gone, and the house girl had disappeared, and the little boy was asleep. Uncle Remus had many privileges in the house of the daughter of his old mistress and master, and one of these was to warm himself by the dining room fire whenever he felt lonely, especially at night. To the lady there was a whimsical suggestion of pathos in everything the old negro said and did, and yet her attitude toward Uncle Remus was one of bustling criticism and depreciation. By leaning back in her chair a little, she could see him as he sat before the fire, enjoying the warmth. "'I should think it was time for you to be in bed,' she exclaimed. "'No, um, taint,' responded Uncle Remus. "'I year tell that when old folks get to bed soon, they feelin's been hurted, and goodness knows there ain't nobody hurted my feelings this day. Well, there isn't anything in there that you can pick up. I've had everything put under lock and key. Yes, um, there's something in here in year two, cause your Mars John supper settin' right down your for the fire, and a little more it'd have been dry spang up if I hadn't dropped in des when I did. I your Mars John tell that er nigger woman whilst you call your cook for to have him some fried eggs for supper, and if these ain't fried and dried, I ain't never seen none what is. 
When Mars John come, you can set plum in there and year him crack him up in his mouth, same like cow chewing fodder. Last Saturday night, Mars John fetched some fried isters home, and if this year nigger woman stay on this hill many more days, he'll get all his vittles cooked downtown and fetch it home in a basket. Where Mars John now? Just then there was a call at the telephone. The little gong rattled away like a house on fire. As the lady went to answer it, Uncle Remus rose from his chair and crept on his tiptoes to the door that opened into the sitting room. He heard his Miss Sally talking. Well, what's wanted? Oh, is that you? Well, I couldn't imagine. No. Fast asleep too long ago to talk about. Why, of course. No. Why should I be frightened? I declare you ought to be ashamed. Remus is here. Two hours. I think you are a horrid mean. Bye-bye. Uncle Remus stood looking suspiciously at the telephone after his Miss Sally had turned away. Miss Sally, he said presently, was you talking to Mars John? Certainly. Who do you suppose it was? Whereabouts was Mars John? At his office. Way down yan on Yalabama Street? Yes. At this piece of information, Uncle Remus emitted a groan that was full of doubt and pity and went into the dining room. His Miss Sally laughed, and then an idea seemed to strike her. She called him back and went again to the telephone. Is that you, Central? Please connect 1140 with 1460. There was a fluttering sound in the instrument, and then the lady said, Yes, it's me. Here's Remus. Yes, he wants to talk to you. Here, Remus, take this and put it to your ear. Here, simpleton, it won't hurt you. Uncle Remus took the earpiece and handled it as though it had been a loaded pistol. He tried to look in at both ends, and then he placed it to his ear and grinned sheepishly. He heard a thin, sepulchral, but familiar voice calling out, Hello, Remus, and his sheepish grin gave place to an expression of uneasy astonishment. Hello, Remus. Hello, 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 hello. Is that you, Mars John? Of course it is, you bandy-legged old villain. I have no time to be standing here. What do you want? How in the name of God do you get in there, Mars John? In where? In this year, in this year apparatus. Oh, you be fiddlestick. What do you want? Mars John, can you see me? Or is it all dark in there? Are you crazy? Where is your Miss Sally? She's in here, hollering and laughing. Mars John, how you gwin get out of dar? Dry up. Good night. Here tis, Miss Sally, said Uncle Remus, after listening a moment. There's a mighty zooming went on in there, and I don't know whether Mars John's trying to scramble out or where he just trying for to make himself comfortable in there. What did he say, Remus? He up and load that one on us was a villain, but there was such a buzzing went on in there I couldn't exactly catch the rights on it. Uncle Remus went back to his place by the dining room fire and after a while began to mutter and talk to himself. What's the matter now, his Miss Sally asked. I is this a saying that I know Mars John must be suffering somewheres. Why? Oh, I does knows it. Cause if he ain't, what made his talk so weak? He bleeds to be in trouble. I'm a-telling you the Lord's truth. 
That white man talks like he ain't bigger than one of these here little teenchy chiny dolls. I bound you, he continued. If I was a white woman and Mars John was my old man, I'd snatch out my bonnet and I'd Natalie sail round this here town till I found out what the matter with him. I would that. The old man's Miss Sally laughed until the tears came in her eyes, and then she said, There's a piece of pie in the sideboard. Do get it and hush so much talking. Thank ye, Missus, thank ye, exclaimed Uncle Remus, shuffling across the room. He got the pie and returned to his chair. This your pie, he continued, holding it up between his eyes and the fire. This year pie come in good time, cause Mare's John talks so weak and fur off and make me feel right empty. I spec he be well time he get home, and if he is to get hold of your dish your pie, it might make him have bad dreams. In a few moments the pie had disappeared, and when his Miss Sally looked at him a little later, he was fast asleep. End of section 30, read by Bryce Cries, Ohio.